Well, if you have your Bible, uh, if you could open up your Bibles to John chapter 18 and uh, turn or keep your thumb in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, that should be an easy read, I'm sure of it. Uh, so John chapter 18, John chapter 18, and, and why don't we stand for the reading of God's word here? I'll ask you to stand if that's all right. And if you can't stand, that's fine too. But the Bible says this in John chapter 18, verse, uh, let's pick up actually in verse 36. This is the, just to give you a little bit of context, this is the uh, historic uh, encounter between uh, Jesus Christ and Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate is about to offer up Christ to the crowd, and you'll get to decide uh, in the crowd whether you choose Jesus or Barabbas. And so we'll take a look at that here and some of those things and what that would mean. But the Bible says this in John chapter 18, verse 36. The Bible says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas, now, Barabbas was a robber. Uh, some time ago, about a month ago, uh, you might have heard this national story uh, of a man that escaped prison in Chester County, Pennsylvania. I'm not going to name his name because a lot of people like to Google their own names and I don't want him to find me someday. <laughs> but, uh, but he definitely escaped prison. And uh, I was in that part of the country. I was around Pennsylvania. My family, my in-laws are from Baltimore, so we spend quite a bit of time in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we were around that area, and, and I, I thought it'd be a great idea to go to Gettysburg. You ever been to Gettysburg? We, we enjoy history, uh, and I uh, think that's um, a neat endeavor. And, uh, and I'm getting notifications on my phone that somebody has broken out of prison. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I have uh, four kids and a, a little wife, and uh, I have to tell you, that's probably not what you want to see on your phone uh, while you're traveling. And, and, you know, what were the chances, you know, he could find us, you know? But did you know that this man was convicted of murder uh, at that time last month and escaped from Chester County, 30 miles west of Philadelphia on the morning of August 31st, sparking a search involving hundreds of officers? Investigators believed he escaped the facility by climbing onto the roof and fleeing from there, a law enforcement source told CNN. Now, what's really fascinating about this is that they had just put fresh barbed wire on the roof, and he just mauled right through it. I guess if you want to escape, you really know what you're doing. Now, while I was in the process of doing just a, a mini short uh, weekend trip, I have to say it occurred to me it is difficult to trust people who break out of prison. I mean, that hit me like a brick wall. I remember thinking, you know, I probably won't ask him to babysit my kids. 
Uh, I, I probably won't uh, proceed and, and go ahead and, and call him up and say, well, boy, how'd you do it? I, I want to probably stay away from people like that. It's really striking. But as we see here in our passage, a man is released from prison, Barabbas. And it is striking that he was. You know, picture the crowd as Christ is standing side by side with Barabbas. Now, when we think of Jesus ourselves, Jesus himself is, is of course, God, but he certainly looked like a man. And imagine yourself in the crowd. And as you looked at the crowd, you saw the God-man and a prisoner. And the majority of the crowd is shouting, free Barabbas. It's really something. And so he's freed. Our question is, why is Barabbas set free? And why does Christ pray for the crimes of not just him, but all prisoners everywhere? Tonight, I'd like for us to consider this particular idea. Keep your thumb uh, back in Leviticus 16. But the title of the message is Jailbreak. Jailbreak. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We ask for your mind and your ability today, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would illumine our thoughts, our minds. And uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, help us with one accord to receive the word of God, Lord. And uh, Lord, would you uh, minister as the Holy Spirit would go forward and speak the word to hearts individually and, yes, collectively as well as a local church. We pray, Lord, that you would minister. We love you, Lord. You're so good to us in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Why is Barabbas set free? Well, it's, it's not necessarily uh, perhaps the easiest read, but I want us to consider Leviticus 16. And, and we'll read for some time here as we comb through this passage. The Bible says this in Leviticus 16, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times unto the holy place. In other words, this is supposed to be a rare circumstance. Don't come uh, frequently for this particular sacrifice. Within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen miter shall he be attired these are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in the water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of, of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on the which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for the scapegoat into the wilderness." And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and in his hands off the sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall bring, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord. 
that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Let's have her head bowed, every eye closed. No. Yeah, maybe a little work there, for sure. Like a, a little wordy. When we start to take a look at Christ and Barabbas, right, it just seems like right in front of the entire nation. One is set free, and one pays for the sins of the people. Before we deal completely with Leviticus 16, I want to remind us just a handful of truths that I'm sure you know already. The Bible is, in fact, about Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Psalm 40, verse 7, and in Hebrews 10, verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. God is telling you, this book is about God. Hebrews 10, 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So twice in the Bible, the Bible is telling you, this book is about me. The other thing that I'm sure you know, but sometimes it helps to hear out loud again, is that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were a type of shadow for things to come. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the corner, the comer, thereunto perfect. In other words, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were supposed to remind you about Jesus. All right, so now, as we kind of put our thinking cap on here for just a second, you have an entire book that's about Jesus. And so I understand we're supporting characters of this story, but in the end, the main character is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You have an entire economy of sacrifices in the Old Testament that are supposed to make you think about Jesus himself. And then you get to Leviticus 16. That's really something. It's really a striking passage. In fact, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 tells us the story of how Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire unto the Lord. And in the wake of Leviticus 10, Leviticus 16 is written as a type of addendum and a type of advice to Aaron by the mouth of Moses. And God says to Moses this, Hey, do you remember when Aaron's sons died because they offered strange fire to the Lord? Here's what I want you to do. Make sure in the wake of those things that Aaron doesn't come at all time. In other words, the sacrifice that I'm, supposed, that I'm about to show you here, it's supposed to be a rare thing. Now, why is it rare? I, I just had some ideas. I, I'm not necessarily uh, backing this up by a ton of scripture. Maybe it's supposed to be more of a reflection. Uh, maybe it's supposed to uh, cause us to uh, remember uh, these sacrifices in such a way that causes us to reflect on the Lord. It reminded, reminds us a little bit of the uh, Lord's table that we have. We don't have the Lord's table every week. It's just the decision of our church not to have it every week or even every month. Uh, we typically have it just a handful of times a year. And why? It's because we're supposed to remember. It's causing us to consider the sacrifice of Christ so it doesn't become old hat, so it doesn't become something that you just always do just because that's what we always do. It's a point of reflection. And this in particular, this act, this unique sacrifice... It is indeed supposed to be a, a rare thing, perhaps because it is supposed to be a point of remembrance. In fact, there is some scholarship that seems to indicate that this is where the Hebrew holiday of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, depending on how you pronounce that, uh, the Day of Atonement is supposed to uh, be remembered. All right, so now let's consider this offering. Aaron is supposed to bring in two offerings. The one was a ram and the one was a bullock. The ram was supposed to be a generalized burnt offering for the Lord. 
But the bullock was supposed to be for Aaron and himself. In other words, this unique sacrifice was purifying Aaron as he was about to do something else. Then Aaron, and this is important to remember this, wears holy garments according to verse 23. The Bible says this in Leviticus 23. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he had put on when he had in the holy place and shall leave them there. Elsewhere in the chapter, there's a unique garb that he puts on, and then later on, he, he puts it off. And then also, he washes his flesh, according to verse 4 and verse 24. This is no ordinary sacrifice. So there's a sacrifice that precludes the, the, the public sacrifice for the people. Then you get to verses 5 and 7, and there's a dramatic shift in what happens. The Lord tells Moses, I want you to grab two goats. Isn't that a blessing? Aren't you glad we don't have to grab goats are there anyone that are like afraid of animals? You know, just maybe a little, I mean, I would be a little uncomfortable just around animals, just like a weird thing that I have. I'm just glad I don't have to do that. I just go to the Lord. Well, imagine these people in this time, in this unique, we could say, dispensation, in order to be right with the Lord. Aaron had to get right with the Lord and also his house. And then as he, as he sacrificed on behalf of the people, he gets two goats. He casts lots on those goats. There's an element of probability and chance. Let's call it a, a 50-50 shot, these two goats. One goat is dedicated to the Lord himself. And the other is a scapegoat. A scapegoat. The scapegoat, Aaron, confesses the iniquities, the transgressions, and the sins upon the Lord's goat, as they sacrifice it to the Lord. And the scapegoat, I mean, take the, the root word out, scape. It escapes. It leaves. It runs into the wilderness. It's gone. So you have one goat here that Aaron publicly sacrifices, confessing the sins of the people upon this very goat. And the other one is released into the world. That's really something. The way it's released is the Bible says in verse 24, uh, just uh, let's go here again. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of, off, offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall be burned upon the altar. And he that let the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. The Bible says a fit man then releases this goat into the wilderness while the other one pays for the sins. I mean, you could imagine what the corporate sins of a nation look like. You know, it's one of, one of the things that's wonderful about being uh, a Bible-believing Baptist, is that one of our main tenets is, is the priesthood of the believer. Amen. Is that we personally go to the Lord in individual soul liberty, and we go to God by way of Jesus Christ to the Father. You don't go to a priest. But, but back then you did. Yes, there was prayer. Yes, there, there was time. I'm sure there was personal devotion. We see Daniel prays. We see all sorts of men in the, in the Old Testament pray. In order to be right with God, there was a point where you had to 
Go to the priest. So let's kind of review this for just a second. You have Barabbas, who is released into the wilderness. And you have Jesus that pays for the sins of the nation. You have a goat that is released into the wilderness. And the other one pays for the sins of the nation. You know, as we continue, in Mark chapter 14, 44 through 54, it's a very strange scene. It's the scene where they capture the Lord from the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, they capture him. The, 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 the angry mob takes him away. And they leave behind two groups of people. Two groups of people. The generalized people that were at the Garden of Gethsemane, which would have included the disciples, and would have included all, all manner of people trying to capture Jesus, and an individual young man. All right, now, the individual young man, in the, in the midst of the melee, and in the, the mob violence that is ensuing, that took place when they captured the Lord, his garment is left behind, similar to the garment that Aaron sheds after this sacrifice is done. And, and yet, the disciples, the Bible says, fled. I mean, they, they plumb ran away. Isn't that interesting? When we get to John chapter 18, you see a, a 50-50 shot. I mean, it's almost like there's two goats, if you will. And Pontius Pilate is, is standing before the masses. And, and what's so interesting about this is that uh, the Bible talks about how, on occasion, the, the lot belongs to the Lord and the whole disposing thereof. And so there's this element of chance and probability, like a 50-50 shot, that God seems to watch over. In other words, they cast the lot, and the one is dedicated to the Lord, and the other one is escaping to the wilderness. Well, well brother, do you know that Pontius Pilate does the same thing? Pontius Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus. In fact, he's trying to get out of this thing. And so it's a 50-50 shot just to kind of take the blame off himself in some way. And, and I want you to see what happens here. This is really something. Go to, um, go to Matthew 27 here. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. The Bible says this in uh, verse 18. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife said to him, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Verse 24, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Oh, man. Aaron, because the moment is so sacred, has to wash his flesh from this entire thing. And he's washing his hands of it. And, and Pontius Pilate is now understanding, I don't want to be involved with this. I'm going to wash my hands 
of this whole thing. Did you know that the Bible is about Jesus? And, and you know, at this point, we have a few prisoners that have escaped. We have a few. We have a, a goat. We have a fearful disciples. We have a young man. And we have Barabbas. That's a goat, fearful disciples, a young man, and indeed we also have Barabbas himself. Let's talk about this goat. A goat is ignorant. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily the, the guy that is a huge animal lover. I'm not against animals. Uh, I love animal lovers. All right, so if, if you like animals, that's fine. We can get along. You know, it's just not my thing. You know, I'm not something that's, I'm not always uh, desiring to get a dog. It's not something that's in my fiber. If, if you love dogs and you love cats, God bless you. Uh, I go to a zoo. We have a zoo membership. We, it's fine. We can get along. We can get along. But you know what I've noticed about animals is that they're barely sentient. I mean, it's like, not like they make choices, really. They act on what we would say, animal instinct. And, you know, animals just try to protect themselves, eat, sleep, and drink. Sounds like most men that I know. And yet, they are generally ignorant creatures. You know, a goat isn't thinking about the sins it's committed. A goat isn't thinking how bad it feels. A goat doesn't have the image of God. A goat is under the dominion of man. And you know, a goat is, is pretty ignorant. It doesn't really know what it's doing. And there are some prisoners, they're just ignorant. I mean, they don't know that they're sinning. They don't know. They're new Christians, maybe. And, and, and they don't know that some things might be sinful. They're just in the walk with life with God. They're, they're a little ignorant of that. And, and that's okay. Sometimes the word ignorant has such a negative connotation. But in the end, it's just you might not know something. And, and the prisoners of this life, the people that were born again, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, they do start ignorant, and, and that's okay. And may we never get so involved with ourselves that we have no patience for a new believer or, or no patience for somebody who's just coming along. Like they, they might just plainly be ignorant. But there's another prisoner that we released into the wild. It is the fearful disciple. Yeah, this is, this is a different one. So if you read that same passage, Peter is walking afar off, or following afar off, excuse me, and he's trying to watch what is unfolding with his Lord and Savior. And he's just a little bit scared. So are the rest of the disciples. It's the fearful disciple. It's the one that is relenting to the fear. It's, this life is too much for them. The things that happen in this life, they refuse to surrender those things to the Lord. They are fearful. In fact, let's just call it what it is. It's a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust for the future. It's a lack of trust for the current condition. It's a lack of trust to, to consider what God says. It's a lack of trust to just plainly read the Bible and just obey what it says. It is a form of fear. One of the most striking verses you'll find in the Bible is found in Revelation 21.8 when the Bible says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and sorcerers and murderers and whoremongers and idolaters. And it goes through this whole raft of seemingly sinister people. And at the top of the order are the fearful we have plenty of fearful prisoners out in the world, don't we? So sure, upon your salvation, you were released. 
You, oh, brother, you were released. And, and it could be pure ignorance. And that's okay. But I, I think sometimes we need to consider that. But the second thing, it could be, you could be plumb too fearful. And your fear might manifest itself in a few different ways. You could be way too fearful to go door knocking. Or way, way too fearful to talk about your Lord and Savior when, the God, when God gives you an ordained opportunity of some sort. You're just too afraid. I understand. We've all been there. But in the end, as prisoners of the Lord, we can't relent to that fear. There's another prisoner we've released on this young man that was just in the mob and, and his linen garment just gets, uh, gets left behind, similar to the linen garment that Aaron sheds. I mean, the shadows and typology is just something. But it's the careless prisoner. It's the careless prisoner that, that goes about his life and he, he doesn't care about anything with, with no consideration for anyone in this world. You know, one of the silliest things a person could say is, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Come on, does anyone really think that way? I care what people think about me because it affects their opinion about the Lord. I mean, if I'm walking around uh, rubbing everyone's face at it, so to speak, I mean, come on, how is that Christian? Pure carelessness. Pure carelessness. We have plenty of prisoners of the Lord that are just plain careless. They just don't care what other people think. I mean, they're haphazard. And, and this is, it was a young man that was guilty of that back in uh, Mark chapter 14. It was a young man. But what was striking about the whole thing is that many of us stop at salvation and, and we don't want to grow in grace anymore. And it's a striking thing as fellow prisoners, my friend, in this, in this trial of life that we're all walking through, this great odyssey. We can't be careless. Neither can we be ignorant. And neither can we be fearful. But there's another prisoner that was released. It was Barabbas himself. Barabbas says, man, it just, you get this picture of, of Pontius Pilate with a teeming masses of people shouting at the top of their lungs with two incredible people in the, in the, in the entire window. And Pontius Pilate, I don't know how he's able to address an entire crowd, but he doesn't want to crucify the Lord. And so he ends up delivering Jesus. And what is striking is he washes his hands of the entire thing from, a, from releasing a murderer, a murderer. Now, by the grace of God, I don't think we have any murderers here. <laughs> Unless you do, in which case, please stay away from me. You know when the Bible says in Matthew 5, verses 21 to 24, it equates anger and hatred with murder? I mean, we're all guilty of that. I mean, would it ever pass through your lips about another brother in Christ to say, I hate that guy? Or I hate her? Would it ever pass through your lips to walk through as a, as a born-again, blood-bought son of God and you look at your brother and you say, I hate him. I hate her. It's like murder, God says. Now, it isn't physical murder. It's just that the starting point is the same. A, a disregard of life. But the Bible says, now Barabbas was a robber. It's one of my favorite verses. <laughs> now, Barabbas was a robber. You know, he defrauded people. He cheated people. 
I mean, would it ever be said of one of us, perhaps, you know, as, as we conversationally get to know each other and we find out that different people are able to help different people within our church, would we ever rip off each other? Would we ever be that sort of people? These are the prisoners that have been released by Jesus Christ himself. It is the, it is the scapegoat. My friend, we have escaped into the wilderness. And it is Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself that has paid for it as his sins were confessed on his own or in his own body. As believers, we're all prisoners that were released in the world. But what kind of prisoner are we? Are you an ignorant prisoner, a fearful one, a careless one, or a, a hateful, murdering one? It's more like being released from prison as a saved person. I heard a man say this. I thought this was really fascinating. A lot of times we hear salvation equated with just being released from prison. But I heard a guy say this. I think this is not original with me, but this is pretty good. You might have heard the same. It's a little bit different than just being released from prison. Salvation is like being released from prison and you turn around and God strikes the entire jail cell down to rubble. Like you cannot go back in. That's salvation. Now, my friend, we're all prisoners, aren't we? Now, I hope you don't think church is a prison. <laughs> that would be pretty sad. And I hope you don't think your Sunday school class is a prison or adult Bible fellowship. But certainly, could this, could this be said towards us? The Bible says back in Leviticus 60.30, what do we do with this information? The Bible says this in Leviticus 16.30, For on that day shall, ye, shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. I kept looking at that phrase. Ye shall afflict your souls. Well, what does that mean? Well, as we said traditionally, this has been at least celebrated in parallel with Yom Kippur, Yom, Yom Kippur, depending on how, what part of the region you're from. The Day of Atonement. And the way they would afflict their soul is by fasting, or by, by restraining yourself in, in some way or another and challenging your flesh with constant repentance to the Lord. And it would seem, as the Bible says, that we, we should consider ourselves and to consider our ways and to uh, consider if we be in the faith as we talk about these things, that from time to time it would help us spiritually if we would reflect on whether we are ignorant, fearful, careful, or, or careless, or even hateful. So what God is telling us is that from time to time, we probably should afflict our souls. It is that there, there comes a point where we should be a little bit mournful about who we are before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying not to be joyful. I'm not saying not to have the joy of the Lord. But in your time and personal communion with God, you ask yourself, Lord, am I guilty of this? Am I guilty of that? Or is, is this an issue in my life? Or is this something I should, I should correct in my, in my own personal walk with you? My friend, did you know that we are prisoners? But we are prisoners, according to the Apostle Paul, of Christ himself. Of Christ himself. You know, as we take a step back and consider our own life, did you know that in Ephesians 3.1 and Philemon 1.1 and Philemon 1.9, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. So yes, there's a fifth type of prisoner. There's not just the careless, the fearful, 
the, uh, the murderer and the ignorant. There's not just those, those who are constantly watching their back, trying to manipulate what's happening. My friend, there's the prisoner of Christ himself. Now imagine what the Apostle Paul is doing as he's penning some of these epistles of the New Testament. He literally is in prison. He actually is there. There's a point where he's actually penning things while he's in a jail cell of some sort, and yet there seems to be a type of joy about himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I would just challenge you in this way. As you consider the reflection of your own soul, am I these things? There is a time to turn away from those things and turn to great joy in the Lord. And I would ask you, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, are there things in this life that you know would probably bring you great joy that you're not doing them? Can I, can I just give you a list of things that probably could really help you? They really could. You probably have figured out if you read your Bible, you'll probably have a better relationship with the Lord. That's absolutely true. You probably have figured out in your life that if you were to have a time of prayer with the Lord and you are really considering your own soul before a holy God, you've probably have figured out in those times that you kind of get closer to God himself. But you know, there are other things around here that we could absolutely use help with. Do you know it would probably give you great joy to minister to God's people? Amen. Did you know that? Did you know that right now, we are looking for some people to join the choir for this upcoming cantata? I mean, you got to talk to Brother Mike about that. But we are looking for some people in the orchestra, looking for some, some people in the choir. I mean, I'm talking to the teens right now. It would be wonderful to have some teens in this choir right behind us. That would be a wonderful thing. And you know that sacrificing in this way as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, just uniting yourself under the agenda of God, it actually makes you more joyful. It actually helps you bear fruit. You know that right now, right now, Mr. Witzke is looking for some bus workers. He really is. He's looking for some people to run some good bus routes. Now, we're just coming off a wonderful smite campaign. And some of those very areas that we door knocked, brother, it would be great to have some extra bus workers. Well, why? Why, why would we do that to ourselves? Are you saying we, should, we are prisoners of Jesus Christ? I am saying that. And, and do you know that when you unite back to the warden, if you will, and you get under the agenda of Jesus Christ, you're going to be more joyful, absolutely. When you consider some of the things in your own life, maybe I am guilty of this, or maybe I am guilty of this issue, or maybe you're not, but are you involved in the agenda of our Lord? Are you a prisoner of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about if you're saved. If you're not saved, brother, you should get saved. But if you're sitting here as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we need help here. We need help in the nursery. And listen, thank the Lord. The Lord has not called me yet to be a nursery worker. But God bless you ladies for being nursery workers. Amen. We need it. We need, we need some people that are willing to once in a while reach out to some other people and ask them if they can help. You know what a blessing it is to, to have people in ministry positions that are willing once in a while to kind of take the bullet and be the bad guy once in a while and say, Hey, I hate to bug you, but would you mind helping us with this issue? Hey, I'd hate to bother you, but would you mind kind of helping us with this ministry? And you know, it's, everyone's annoyed in that process, aren't they? Aren't they? Come on. Like, 
Nobody likes being asked to go do something unless they are kind of weird. Or nobody likes to be the one who's asking. But those types of people, brother, they have surrendered themselves to the agenda of God as his prisoner. You know what else we need help with? We can use some help on security. We can use some help walking around this place. We can use some help with, now don't, you know, like, don't go every time. You know, don't go on eternal security, I say. Just go once in a while. Now, brother, there's a lot of things we, we could use help with. And get the picture of the Apostle Paul sitting in a jail cell. Sitting in a jail cell. And I, man, I used to always laugh reading this. I was like, here am I, the, apo- the, the Apostle Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Come on. Isn't that joyful and wonderful? And, and there we are, next to Jesus Christ, right on a windowsill. And Pontius Pilate is behind, it, behind us. And he's, he's trying to get Jesus free. But you and I are next to him. Yes, you and I are, are the other goat. Yes, you and I are, are the, the young man. Or the fleeing disciples. Or the ignorant one. Yes, you and I are right there. Or we're Barabbas even. And we're standing there behind, beside the Lord. And the Lord is taking the bullet for us. Come on, isn't he worth serving? Isn't he worth giving your life to? Isn't that worth whatever spare time you have? Giving it to Jesus Christ himself? You know, every once in a while, I ask myself, has this been a blessing, this thing right here? And and I'm back and forth on it. I really am. And, And let's say one negative one negative. One positive is it produces funny videos, which is a blessing for sure, yeah, for sure. But, you know, one negative is it's like we're supposed to be the most organized we have ever been. We're supposed to be the most, you, uh, the most productive and prosperous generation that has ever lived. And yet in our organization and in our abundance of communication, we have become distant from each other. And the question is why? Well, brother, on that windowsill, we were freed into the wilderness. And sometimes we're ignorant, and sometimes we're careless, and sometimes we're fearful, and sometimes we could be hateful, and sometimes we are reminded that we are the prisoners of Jesus Christ himself. Isn't he worth serving? Isn't he worth giving your whole heart, not just your finances, but your your life to, your, your will to? Isn't he worth spending some extra time in the week for? Brother, we could use you here at church. We can use some more musicians. We can use some more piano, we, piano players. We, we need you. Because in the end, as these days wane away, The Bible says, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The day meaning the day of the Lord. As this thing is winding down, so much the more. That's how much we're supposed to be around each other in God's house. That's how much we're supposed to be around each other, serving the Lord. And brother, I'm here to tell you, as a fellow prisoner, I feel it too. Now, 
the gentleman that escaped from prison. Do you know it took 14 days to find him? 14 days. It took two full weeks to find an escaped murderer. It took hundreds of police officers on foot and in the air trying to find this man. Don't let Jesus put on a search warrant for you trying to find you to bring him back to you. God has something wonderful for you. God has something unique for you. But you got to come to him.